Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome, wonderful humans, to this episode of Sister Speak with Dr. Emma J. Church. Um, I'm so grateful today to be here with a new friend, Adrian, um, that I've had the pleasure to cross paths with multiple times and kind of finally really started to have some conversations the other day at a local um, tea and herbalist crystal store in town and um, just really connect. And I'm so thrilled that she is willing to share her story with us today on the podcast. It's one that is uh, close to my heart, um, reflective of some of my own journey and so many of the patients that I work with and, and also my friends in this town. Um, something really remarkable about Adrienne that inspires me so much is the ways in which she has found this little town that we call home, Waco, um, to be a healing place in her journey. And I'm so thrilled to hear about that as well as all of the, the struggles that she's gone through because when we share our struggles, we are able to heal and other people are able to heal from hearing our stories um, and the reflection that we find as we listen to to human stories of struggle and suffering. So welcome, Adrian. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So tell us a little bit about kind of your background. And um, I know we're going to get into talking about some spiritual trauma and mm-hmm. um, other things, but tell, tell us a little bit about your early life. So I grew up uh, kind of in the suburbs of a major metropolitan area. Um, My family was not in church um, growing up. We, but we did have a very much Christian household, I would say. Um, I was just always a really creative kid and have two older siblings and, um, you know, we just, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. You're the baby. <laughs> you were the baby. 
And and tell it tell us about being a creative kid because um, Adrian listeners is an amazing entrepreneur and she makes the most beautiful macrame products and is just <laughs> she is a creative. Um, but what did it look like as a child being a creative kid? So a lot of sort of living in my own um, imagination, very much. Um, I hate saying this word like in reference to being a child, but I feel like because I think we sort of hijack this word to mean something specific when it has a larger context. But I feel like I was a very romantic child. Um, I just sort of had a romance for the world and you know nature and things that were bigger than me that I didn't understand, but I could feel. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, so I just lived in my imagination a lot and just creating stories. Um, I would pretend to be a musician, even though I couldn't <laughs> play music or anything like that. Um, a lot of drawing and painting and putting on plays and um, just a lot of imagination. I love that so much. My middle daughter, Winnie, is is that way. She just she lives in an alternate universe. I don't know <laughs> what it looks like. It sounds like some sort of psychedelic trip a lot of the time. <laughs> but it's just so beautiful, those yeah. children that are just fully embracing their the world of imagination. I seem to remember I was somewhat like that as a child, but it's, it's yeah. hard to remember because oftentimes kiddos like that um, – don't really fit in or they don't it's not an easy way to navigate like traditional social spaces when you are so creative and kind of have your own world so yeah I also um grew up as a dancer Uh, I was put in dance really young you know like ballet and eventually it turned into all the different techniques and I thought that was going to be my creative path Mm -hmm. um for a really long time and then, you know, end of high school happened, and that's when a lot of things changed for me, and I had to let that go, mm-hmm. and that was really hard. Um, I feel like even now I'm still, like, trying to get back to it in some kind of way, you know, like, I can't quite let that go, mm-hmm. but... Um, Is it the dance piece that you miss, or just the kind of being embodied and and moving through space I think it's probably a little bit more egotistical than that honestly um (laughs) call yourself out girl (laughs) yeah it's it's more um I think it it was more like I felt very accomplished that performance yeah and yeah yeah Mm um and it's interesting because um you know what we're going to be talking about today dance kind of um that internal struggle I had with my body was really prevalent in dance because you have to be very in your body with dancing and you have to be very present and vulnerable Mm -hmm. and I as a dancer was not that way I was very much about the technique and being perfect and um sort of assessing my my standing based on how perfectly I was accomplishing this task. Yeah. And so that accomplishment probably then led to praise. Yeah. And recognition. And that praise and recognition is 
you know, as a child and even as an adult, sometimes it's like kind of crack. It's like, yeah. oh, yes, people approve of me and I'm good and I have a positive benefit in the world and people see me. Yeah, it was kind of one of the only places that I was seen. Um, you know, just being the youngest, just kind of, I often felt like a bit of an afterthought to my family, um, especially like having an odd number of mm-hmm. children. Um, and I just... Uh, I, sorry, my brain just like short circuited. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it really felt like one the one place I was really seen and acknowledged and um, like you are, you are visible here mm-hmm. and we recognize you and we see all that you're accomplishing and um that was more what dance was about for me than the artistry of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and and it provides maybe a sense of belonging and identity that is positive, where you are accepted yeah. and and being seen, as you said. Um, but it, but it's not really you that was seen; it was what you could do, right, <clears throat> and how you could perform for others. Yeah, absolutely. You, you said that things kind of changed around then. Um, is that when you kind of maybe dug deeper into spirituality in the church? Um, so I had a bit of a mental breakdown at the end of high school. And I think just the, the perfectionism finally caught up to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get choked up. <laughs> I'll get choked up with you. Um, the the perfectionism really caught up with me and I just could not keep pace anymore. My body was breaking down, like I had a lot of physical issues come up and I um I just couldn't keep pace anymore. I couldn't emotionally, mentally maintain this um persona, this like performance and the more I kind of dug into that, um, so a little bit of a backstory. Um, after high school, I ended up being home for 10 years, very ill, unable to work. Um, my mother was insistent it was physical, it's physical, it's all physical. We got to find the physical reason why. And, um, I was really struggling mentally as well. Mm-hmm. And I um, I just it was stuck. Couldn't work. Couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was stuck mm-hmm. in this tiny little, like, box, you know, my childhood bedroom. And um, it was really during those, that, that decade, those years, that I – started to slowly deconstruct Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's when I really started to, and I really started to deal with the consequences of growing up in purity culture and growing up in these systems of, I mean, of oppression, really. Mm-hmm. They very much oppress women. Um, you know, and broader conversation, obviously, is marginalized people, people of color, yes. LGBTQ, all of that. Um, 
but I mean, I'm speaking to my personal experience right now. And being a woman, I definitely, uh, I was in such conflict in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I am the most disgusting person because I have these normal sexual desires. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in my late teens into my 20s, by the late, really, I mean, the decade, late teens to late 20s. And I had just been repressing, 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 repressing. And um, what were the messages that were given to you as a woman by the church about your sexuality? So I, so I started very young in the purity culture, like height of it, late 90s, early 2000s. Like true love weights style. True love weights. Mm-hmm. I kissed dating goodbye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my, I mentioned that my family was not in church until I was 11 years old. Then we started going to church regularly and we got involved in this particular church that ended up being borderline cult. Um, I know a lot of times when we're deconstructing, every church seems like a cult, mm-hmm. um, but these these people were really wild, like really on the, the fringes of, of church culture. Mm-hmm. And um, so it started there, this sort of... Um, Slow, steady indoctrination. Mm-hmm. I remember the very first, the very first like introduction to purity culture for me. I was probably like eleven or twelve, and I was in youth group. Our youth group was like sixth grade through twelfth grade, twelfth grade, and that was like I feel like that's a pretty broad youth group. That is a big age span. Yes, different developmental stages along yeah. that same space. Yeah, and uh, one of the women, married women in the church. I mean, she was still pretty young. She was probably in her 20s. But she felt like the the girls in the youth group were dressing immodestly. Mm-hmm. So um, she met with the leadership and was like, hey, I want to do this talk. And they're like, yes. None of the parents were consulted or, you know, nobody was, no, like, was informed that this was going to be happening and that was one of our Sundays you know one of our Sunday school times was her you know circling up all the girls and the boys were dismissed into a different room of course Mm -hmm. and um and you know she's telling us her personal story about her shame uh, you know dressing immodestly when she was young and now she's married and wearing like giant flowy clothes and because that's holy and your body is just for your husband and you know I'm 11 12 at this point hearing this Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there going like I'm still a child yeah You know, even at that time, I might not have had the same vocabulary, but even at that time, I remember feeling sort of a little bit removed from it, looking at the situation going, this doesn't seem right. Mm -hmm. Something is off here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's she's 
passing around, having us pass around this folder full of pictures of like, you know, we're talking runway models in like art type fashion. Mm-hmm. Nobody in real life is wearing this stuff. Yeah. And she's, <laughs> she's like, you know, weeping over, oh, these women, you know, degrading themselves and all this stuff. And I just remember sitting there going, nobody's wearing this. What, what, what are you talking about? Mm. You know, it was the late 90s, early 2000s, and um, nobody was wearing anything fashionable. Right. <laughs> that fashion is back right now, and it is not fashionable. I am wearing mom jeans today. It does not look good. but Same, same. <laughs> Yeah, it does not look good and with the tucked in shirt and yeah. the rolled up sleeves. Like it doesn't look good. But, you know, I I was just even that young feeling very out of my body watching this happen to me going this this isn't right. Yeah. That gut feeling which I love hearing you talk about that even at 11. You had this sense internally, which was very wise, that, like, this isn't okay, and it doesn't make sense. And yet, here's someone in leadership telling you to feel shame. Right. And telling you that your body is essentially dangerous, must be covered. Yeah. um, And that it degrades you to be in your body in a way that is in any way exposed. Right. And the, of course, the, you know... Uh, counter to that experience for the girls the boys are in the next room with their male leader literally having a fart farting contest great Mm -hmm. right (laughs) you know no accountability there no I mean you know there's a scripture that talks about modesty or whatever and it's like well yeah but God said you know pluck out your eyeballs if you can't if you can't you know handle that like that that's the task for men. Mm-hmm. Look out your eyeballs. You yeah. don't see that being taught. Yeah. You know, we don't hear those lessons. We hear cover women cover up. Women cover up. Mm-hmm. And so looking back at it now, I was like the church very much in their attempt to you know, keep purity standards. I'm, I'm air quoting purity, the word purity, but like keeping purity standards, they very much sexualize women and young girls. And young girls, absolutely. Why are you telling a 12-year-old she needs to cover up? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of thing that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some of the other messaging is just like, your body is not your own it belongs to your future husband. Um, your body is inherently sexual, and that sexuality is bad, except for your future husband, and then that's all all you have to offer him. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you have no agency. Mm-hmm. You have no autonomy. You have no voice. Um There's no room for consent, education in any of that. And in fact, you know, what I find with purity culture that is so damaging to so many is 
um, the absence of any sex education. Yeah. It's all this kind of conceptual control based don't, don't, don't. And the reality is, I don't know what the statistics are today, but, you know, researching maybe a couple years ago, um, it said like the average age that people lose their virginity is 13. Mm. And, you know, that 80% of high school students are sexually active. And so we have this like very real truth that like people go through puberty yeah, <laughs> and they have an awakening of sexuality in their bodies, but all that they are given in terms of messaging around that is don't, it's bad, it's wrong. And for me in purity culture, I shared with you, my mom was an abstinence-based sex educator, but there were a lot of kind of, <clears throat> in, instead of sex education, more metaphors around if you have sex, you are like a chewed up piece of gum. Yeah. Or all the metaphors. Spitting water into a cup. Mm -hmm. Like who now wants to drink from this cup? Mm -hmm. And it's like if if I have a sexual experience outside of marriage with a I man. I am ruined. I am disgusting, ruined, rejectable. Yeah. And, and also not by other people, but also by God. By God. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the one of the most harmful pieces is um, – you're rejected by what you're taught is your creator that loves you unconditionally. That created you. That created you. Knows you inside and outside. You know, that's what you're taught about God. And then, but then you're told, yeah, but if you act on any of these normal natural desires that God built into you as a person, as a being, um, you're disgusting, you're used up, you're not, you're unworthy. God is disgusted by you 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 have you have um sinned against god mm -hmm. and now there's this wrath coming down on you mm -hmm. the the heavy weight of that you know starting that conversation with young girls who are in bodies that are developing yes um i developed really young i had like hips and butt and curves and thighs and it it was hard to fit into that body I felt oddly more comfortable as a dancer in leotard and tights than I did wearing shorts and um, a t-shirt yeah it's like a role in which your body was seen that was still approved of but had you worn tights and a leotard to your youth group, yeah. you would have all of a sudden been sinning. Yet, when you were dancing, it was fine. And there are yeah. all these like uh, paradoxical things that internally, as children in the church, it's like I'm trying to make sense of this. I'm trying, like, how is this okay sometimes and not all the time? And and there's a lot of confusion. But in that confusion, I find that we look to our teacher, mm -hmm. our elder, our youth group leader. To give us the clarity about what what's really important, especially what's really important about the essence of who I am, yeah, and and potentially for you that was that my body is bad, and and sinful, yeah, and you know, and then not only that, but also your body is all your worth, yes, and your virginity equals worth, yes, and that was. I didn't realize the weight of that. And I didn't realize how long, and this it was really the slow burn of 
you know, purity culture just, just eating me from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the moments that really stands out for me is shortly after that modesty talk with that woman in the church, um, we were at like a outdoor entire church, like picnic family day kind of thing. Everybody's playing games, all the kids and hanging out and talking, whatever. And it was super fun. And, you know, it's Texas. Um, I was in my shorts and T-shirt. It's hot. It's hot. <laughs> it, you know, I think it was probably sometime in the summer. Maybe. I mean, it's it's still going to be 80 degrees today. And we're, like, halfway through November. So <laughs> it's hot. Um, but I remember, see, you know, my family and I, we were about to leave end of the day. And I remember seeing this woman and um, just feeling this like wash of shame because I'm like, I know she is judging me for my shorts. Mm. And these are shorts that I was just starting to grow out of. You know, my mom had already said, oh, hey, you know, I think maybe, you know, the shorts are getting a little small. We need to get you some, you know, different size. And that was devastating enough. And, you know, and it was... I, it, I don't fault her. I think I just internalized that because I felt like, oh, these are finally fitting me and I feel good. And then to have my mom say, they're, no, they're too small. We need to get you some bigger shorts. Made me feel like, I don't know why that made me feel devastated. Yeah. And then, so that was already in my mind that my mom had already said these shorts are too small. I had one pair of shorts. You know, we hadn't gone shopping yet. And... Then to see this woman, after hearing her modesty talk, I've internalized that already. And um, we're about to leave. I go up to her, and I'm like, I say, I know my shorts are, like, too short. um, But we, you know, we haven't gone shopping yet. And I, this only thing I have to wear. And I just started crying because I was just, so overwhelmed by the shame of a piece of clothing on my developing body. You know, remember, I'm, I think I'm 11, maybe 12 at this point. And she says, well, it's okay right now because your shirt is loose and bigger. And so if it was all tight, that would be a big problem. But it's okay for right now until you get some bigger shorts. And I remember, like, thanking her, feeling very, like, okay, I've been absolved, absolved of, this, of this sin, you know, mm-hmm. the sin of not fitting my shorts as my body is developing. Outside <laughs> of my control. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. And, um, and then I... I I don't know, that moment just sticks out to me so much because that was the start of it. That really was the start of it. I do want to say, you know, with my family being very Christian, even before I was introduced into purity culture, um, in that blatant kind of 90s way, I was modeled a very, like, evangelical, conservative Christian idea of gender roles. Mm -hmm. 
with my parents. Um, they were both trying to like fit themselves and each other in these pretty rigid gender roles. Um, you know, just things that my mom was really good at, but the church said, no, a man has to be in charge of that aspect of a relationship or the household or the marriage or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my dad would try to take that on and but my you know, it didn't turn out well because that wasn't his strength. And but it was my mom's. But the church is saying no, but she's a woman and you're not allowed to do that. And um, you know, and vice versa. There were things my my dad did that the church is saying, like, no, that's a woman's job. And so I was already watching them really try to fit themselves in those stereotypes and fit each other. You know, my mom was very much a believer of the man is the head of the household. The woman is the heart of the home. You know, he's the spiritual leadership. I take a back seat. You know, I... Um, I don't outright say, hey, this is what I'm feeling, thinking um, in the direction of, you know, in regard to the direction of our family or our spirituality or whatever. It So what I already was seeing was, you know, my mom sort of pushing my dad into this, like, idea of the spiritual you know, leader, head of the home. Decision maker of Decision all Decision maker. And he, you know, he's not comfortable doing that. He's more of a laid back kind of guy. And and my mom is not, she's not a backseat lady. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, there's just some things that I feel like the church doesn't understand that nuance of, of like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what sex or gender you are. You go with you go with your strength, your individual expression of a person. Right, right. Regardless of gender, you you go with your strength. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like no male, female. You know, man has these roles, woman has these roles, and you gotta w- make that fit. Were you exposed to the umbrella diagram that it's like this big umbrella and it's husband, the one underneath is, oh no, it's God, husband, wife, children. Children, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, That wasn't until later in purity culture journey, but my mom definitely, um, definitely was operating with that umbrella diagram for sure. Mm -hmm. The Bill Gothard. um, She was actually a pastor's kid. Okay. And, you know, they grew up doing a lot of um, going to those seminars, those family, like, seminars. And my grandfather, actually, was it my grandfather? I I think so. Or maybe my great-grandfather. One of them, somewhere along the line, um, you know, like, worked with Billy Graham and just evangelical Christianity is very deeply rooted in my mom's side of the family. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to Wheaton College, which is Billy Graham's alma mater, okay. Bible College in Illinois. And I've been thinking of this as you're talking and dying to share with you about it. But um, so very much purity culture based. Yeah. And then you have like college students 
So it's like they're doubling down at this point because they're definitely. And if you had sex while you were there, you could get kicked out. There's like this community covenant to sign. But I remember walking past the flag football field and there's a bunch of like shirtless um, uh, football players playing flag football. And then somebody had put a sign up, like just printed off their computer. That was like women when you show your bra straps with tank tops, you are making your brother stumble and you need to cover up. And I just remember thinking I was not outwardly spicy at this time, um, but I remember (laughs) thinking like, you're making me stumble because I want to punch you in the face and I'm a pacifist. So that's how you're making me stumble with this sign and like the hypocrisy because they are, none of them are wearing shirts. And, and so just how damaging that message is, but how pervasive and how normal to where yeah. somebody felt that it was their right to just put up a sign, not campus approved, but campus probably would have approved it. Right, right. Um, just for the women walking back to Smith Dormitory from class. And so have definitely experienced, this, experienced these messages um, pervasively in my own story yeah. coming from evangelicalism. Yeah, that's just... The, yeah, like you said, hypocrisy. It's just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just, I think, too, what I keep coming back to is just this, like, awkward sex- sexualization of, of kids. Yes. Like, teenagers. Because what you said about the, the shirtless um, football players and... I don't know why, but it made me think of, like, any time we'd have a pool party with the youth group um it would be you know the girls have to wear the big t-shirts over the bathing suits even if you have one piece on mm-hmm. you have to wear the t-shirt every bathing suit okay let me just drown in this giant t-shirt you know while these boys are shirtless getting to swim and play and have fun in their bodies yeah and one one youth group I did go to cuz I went to a youth like I went to my church's youth group and then a youth group outside of my church, um, they were progressive because they made the boys wear T-shirts too. Mm-hmm. It's like, how about you just let us all like not, not. wear T-shirts? We're swimming. <laughs> how about just a swimsuit? Like, we're still covered. You mm-hmm. know? Especially when like the rule is for girls, you have you have to have a one-piece. Right. Well, what does it matter if you're wearing a giant T-shirt? But that's still damaging today. This like even, you know, I have three young girls in in Texas and um, for their daycare this summer, they couldn't wear anything other than a one piece. And my oldest used to love wearing bikinis and it was so cute. She just was feeling herself. And then all of a sudden being exposed to this, um, she was like, I I cannot, I will not ever wear a, a bikini again. I'm like, what in the world? Like, how has this changed her inner world? Yeah. Just being exposed to that message in, in summer camp that was a, at a Christian church here in town. But, yeah, that those these stories really paint this picture of growing up kind of even pre your sexual awakening within yeah. purity culture. I mean, I will, like, you know, 12, 13, 14, that's when I'm just like, raging boy crazy i'm writing poems about the <laughs> color of the of the eyes of the boy i liked and 
you know, that romance again, just yeah. like, you know, feeling very connected to larger themes that are beyond me and maybe not fully understanding, but also, you know, those things are awakening and, you know, having an internal battle of, well, I'm not supposed to be thinking about this person, um, but I'm, I'm very attracted to this person. Like, how do you, how do you navigate that with purity culture telling you, like, even, you know, our, I know, like, there's different levels of purity culture for different um, denominations or maybe other religions, I guess. Um, but ours, it was, like, even, even thoughts, mm -hmm. that's sin. You yes, know. and and here's the thing: as a psychologist that I I teach my patients all the time is, you cannot control the thought you have. We yeah. just have thoughts. What you do after that is is different. There's yeah. some ability to control that, but just having thoughts that were like dangerous to you or bad, mm -hmm. and like blaming and shaming yourself for a thought that we can't help what the thoughts are that we have. Yeah. I remember the shift happening. So junior high, it was like, I'm being exposed to the early stages of purity culture. You know, reading I Kiss Standing Goodbye in youth group and thinking like, oh, this is like weird. You know, um, when we look at it now, that was like, what, a 19-year-old boy yes. telling a generation of young Christian kids, teens, that everything about them that's normally developing and growing and calling out for connection with mm -hmm. another person is wrong and sinful and dirty. And um, Joshua Harris is a whole other conversation. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He has been brought up on this podcast before. We need to just have a whole podcast about Joshua Harris. Yes, we do. And also, you know, a lot of times I find, and I'm going to just stick my foot in my mouth royally, but that people that have these, like, very stringent, um, dogmatic uh, things to say about sex oftentimes end up being sexual deviants undercover. Yeah. And then, you know, we have these kind of church scandals where yeah, it comes out absolutely. that this heterosexual pastor, air quotes, is having sex with men in bathrooms. or yeah. But preaching from the pulpit, like, being gay is the worst sin. And, absolutely. You know, and this happens all the time. But a 19-year-old yeah. basically wrote essentially what I would think of as the new Bible. Mm-hmm for young people's sexuality in I, the church. I rarely remember studying the Bible in Sunday school and in youth group. We were reading books like I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Yeah. We were having purity talks. We were having modesty talks. You know, I I don't think that was supposed to, that's not like how church is supposed to work. I don't think. I don't think. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows Who how knows? church is supposed to work these days? Who knows? But, um... I do remember that shift happening from, like, preteen, young teen, um, junior high, just kind of being like, eh, and just very much living in my own world and creating my own. I would pretend to have, like, 
a Valentine's date with some boy I had a crush on and like make little paper hearts and I'm like how ridiculous. You're adorable <laughs> and that's so cute. I love it. And then once I hit high school, um the the shame just washed over me. Um I am a very I have a lot of feminine energy. Um I am very romantic by nature. I think a lot of that has to do with being an artist and just seeing the romance of the world. And, you know, in my um, in my high school English class, I was always teased. I was dubbed that I was the, the romantic of the class. Not teased, but I was... Even my teacher was like, okay, Adrian, you... When we'd have debates about, like, a piece of literature, it's like, okay, you take the romantic um, perspective and debate that because, you know, I've just always feeling that, you know, people have good intentions or, like, you know, just the romance of the world. And I want to feel the goodness of people. And um, and so by the time I got into high school, because of all the messaging I'd received, I had to just, like, I shut that part of myself down. Mm-hmm. The femininity, the romance, the 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 longing for connection and um just the ability to relate to boys. You know, it's like, nope, can't cuz it's like, no, you're not allowed to be in a room alone with a boy. Um and the conversation always was, well, it's not that I don't trust you, I don't trust them. Or, you know, boys are evil, they're, they're, they're animals, they can't control themselves, they're, you know, they only want one thing, they just want to use you, and all this stuff. And while there are boys and men out there who, that is a genuine reality of who they are, it's very dangerous to say everybody is like that. Yes. Because what does that teach boys, for one? Mm-hmm. You know, that they have no accountability. They're not being held to any, you know, they're not being held responsible for their actions. Um, and then it just creates this bigger divide between men and women. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so, and I, I very much... I remember, like, even in ninth grade, having a lot of internalized misogyny and being one of those, well, I, I'm not going to be like the other girls, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not going to be caring about my hair or my makeup or dressing nice and looking cute and trying to get a boy's attention. And one of my best friends, like, we're still friends to this day. She used to tease. She was like... um, she would call me Switzerland because she was like, you're neutral. <laughs> you're not, you're not like into one thing or the other. And, um, and it was like this protection I get. I don't even know if it was protection. It sounds like for sure. Yeah. Like a coping mechanism. Coping. Yeah. To cope with the fear of your own thoughts your own body your what it might do yeah 
Um, and, and also, you know, hearing your story, there's like this perfectionism in you, like you want to do it right, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. And this felt like the safest way yeah. to do it right. And I got incredibly judgmental of my friends who started dating, you know, in their young teens. And, and at that point, you know, it was like, we're together for two weeks and oh, you're my boyfriend we're or talking. you're my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, I got incredibly judgmental, like, how could you, like, this is, you know, you're obviously not a really strong Christian, and, um, and it was actually that same friend who, um, I think it was beginning of high school, she was, like, you know, sat me down and had this heart to heart with me, and was like, look, I'm afraid to tell you anything, because, you know, I'm afraid you're going to judge me for it. Like if I like a boy or if I kiss a boy or, you know, she was also a Christian homeschooler too. And, um, you know, raised very similarly to how I was being raised, but purity culture wasn't, you know, she did the true love weights and everything like that. And, but purity culture didn't seem to have that same like grip on her mm-hmm. and her parents let her date. My family did not. I mean, for as long as I could remember, my mom was like, no dating until college. Like, because dating is to determine if you're going to marry that person. Mm -hmm. And if you're not the age to get married, then there's no reason to date. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is why we end up with so many divorces in Christianity. (laughs) Like Some of the highest divorce rates, it's because... You know, there are young people that just now are dating. And here's the thing about dating. You're supposed to hang out with lots of different people so you can figure out what it is that you like so that then maybe you can be with a long-term partner. But to just go straight out of the gate and to date towards marriage and marriage involves sex and I want to have sex. So, like, it all happens so quickly. And there's no education about, like, what a healthy relationship is or Mm -hmm. how do you want to be treated or... Yeah, Any there's there's things. zero conversation around um, what a healthy relationship is mm-hmm. about basic things like 
consent. Um, because again, women are taught your body and your virginity belong to your future husband. I mean, I remember being in high school, I went to my friend's um, youth leader's wedding. I don't know why I was invited to that, but um, I ended up going. And, like, they're getting married, right? And then she, after, I think it was after they said I do, or I don't know, at some point in their ceremony, she gets on the mic and starts, like, talking to the youth, you know, her youth group that are that are there and um, telling them about. It was supposed to be this sweet romantic story about how when she was young, you know, I don't know, 15 or we'll say 15 years old, she started writing letters to her future husband and praying for him every day. And, you know, she prayed for his physical safety at this one point in in time and then when they met each other and they were sharing stories oh he was in a severe accident at that same time and so it was God you know protecting him through her and you know so she and she like fully encouraged us to be writing to our future husbands because only a husband is allowed Mm -hmm. um our future husbands Every day, we're like 15, 16 years old. And I remember I started to do it because I was like, okay, this is a person in leadership. And this is, I want, I want a relationship. You know, I'm desiring to have that connection and be with somebody in that way. And so I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is how you do it. You know, you kind of, pray this person into your life um and I did it for a little while and then I remember thinking like this is really stupid (laughs) what am I doing here this is so stupid and doesn't it and I remember thinking like this takes my focus off of God Mm -hmm. and learning about God because I'm just so focused on you know this future figure that may or may not exist and 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 also too I recognized that whatever boy I was having a crush on at the time that's who I was subconsciously writing these letters to Mm -hmm. and I just I was like this is dumb I don't have the energy for this this is so stupid and I think I like burned the journal (laughs) but I so much of my church experience had those moments of me being in the midst of all of this like craziness and instead of being swept up in it I would pull back and kind of observe and be like this is weird Mm -hmm. and this doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. that's another thing too that purity culture teaches women especially is to not listen to their intuition yes because the message so much is your heart is deceitful your heart is deceitful you can't trust your heart Mm. you know there's a scripture I think there's like one scripture that references that and um and so you're really taught not to trust yourself not to listen to yourself you're really taught to shut down intuition 
because you can't possibly trust your intuition. Your heart's deceitful. It's just wanting to lead you down this path of sin and pull you away from God. And, you know, uh, Satan uses that to get you away from God. And, and so that was something that I didn't really lean into a lot of those moments of um, sort of pulling back and observing I don't know, I'm just kind of now having that epiphany of like, wow, I actually was listening to my intuition in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't expressing it outwardly. I just wasn't um, able to to trust that intuition and then live outwardly in that direction. It was internal going, this is weird, this is weird. I'm, I'm having all this internal conflict and... Um, but I'm still on the out, outside trying to make this thing work. You know, whatever that thing was. Mm-hmm. Purity culture was a huge stumbling block. Let's throw their own word back mm-hmm. at them, right? <laughs> it was a huge, a huge problem for me. And And it sounds like specifically... In your relationship with yourself and in your relationship with a God of your understanding, like this purity culture message prevented you from actually engaging in spirituality. Absolutely. I mean, so I used to write like poems. I thought they were songs. They're more like poems because I had this idea that I was going to like be a songwriter and in a band even though I didn't sing or play an instrument but whatever um and I would write that was the only outlet I had to get all of this out I would write these songs and these poems and all through high school and then also through that decade after high school and you know my late 20s early 30s I looked I looked back on some of that writing and I was like This reads like someone who is being horribly abused, begging their abuser to love them and find Mm -hmm. them worthy. That was what the church I was raised in, purity culture, all of it, all of what I was taught about spirituality and religion, that's what it did to me. That's how it dictated my connection to a higher power. Mm. You know, I remember growing up in church and just not being able to merge this idea of the God of infinite understanding and unconditional love and this angry God of wrath that has tally marks for your sins. And I just, it couldn't make sense to me. And so kind of similarly, I recognize myself even as a very small child being like this doesn't make sense this doesn't make sense but also this like begging to be loved and it's like well god is love but you don't get that message Mm -hmm. in a way that that you could ever feel it and it's just i want to be enough and please love me i'm trying what else can i do and you know to have empathy for your childhood self in that way is so important um when i think about purity culture 
I think about my own experience, lots of experiences that I've heard from clients over the course of 11 years doing therapy in the Bible mm-hmm. Belt. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if you've heard about this book uh, called Pure. Yes. Okay. That, yes. By Linda some, Klein. Oh, my gosh. So that was something I was going to bring up, too. Um, so I read that book probably, it was, I think it was last year, like beginning of the year. Okay. I have been kind of I don't know this vague idea of wanting to do some sort of like art installation about purity culture and I went to uh, the bookstore here to get Shameless Shameless Mm -hmm. by um, Nadia Boltzweber and when I was checking out the girl that uh, was ringing me up um, she was like oh you know we were chit-chatting and I was kind of telling her about the idea I was having and I just wanted to like dive into that a little bit deeper and she was like oh you have to read this and she pulled out pure I feel like that even more so than Nadia's book and Nadia's book is amazing mm-hmm. but pure by Linda K Klein just like the house of cards fell yeah like and reading reading those stories of different people what purity culture did to them and one of the things that um really stood out to me was how much purity culture sets women up to be abused yes because we're not taught consent we're not taught that our bodies are ours we're not taught how to set healthy boundaries how we're not taught anything we're not even taught how you know, sex works, period. We're not taught that it should feel pleasurable to us as women. Yeah. And that's something that, like, just even in this last year or so, I've really been, like, it's really been dawning on me that women's pleasure is non-existent mm-hmm. in the in church culture, in purity culture. Um, you know, you're just... You're just there to you're there to please your husband. Your body is your husband. That's your gift to your husband, and and you make babies and create this family. And it's like, oh, what if I don't want to do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And what if I want to feel something when I'm engaged in sex? What if I? Yeah. What, if, what about my pleasure? You know, when I th- that book for the listeners. It's about a woman who goes back and interviews the people from her, the women from her youth group about kind of how purity culture that they were raised in ended up influencing their sexual development mm-hmm. and experiences. And, you know, there are there are stories um, that capture the LGBT yeah, awakening. Experience those are powerful. And and stories that capture experiences of rape and abuse. Mm-hmm. And I would say that for me, um, being raised in purity culture, the impact ha- has been, and I've been deconstructing and and healing these things, but our were hatred of my own body, mm-hmm. intense shame about my sexual desire, oh, yeah. like asking Jesus to forgive me for masturbating like oh, every day yeah. and feeling like a piece of trash and like mm-hmm. I was going to hell um, as a young young child. But all the way up into, you know, I think about my early sexual experiences because I had no education about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and counting on my, on one hand, the amount of times that it was a consensual experience. Mm. And yeah. then leading up until 
um, you know, my, the rapes that I have experienced Mm -hmm. later in life. And so the damage is significant. And I think it's really brave to talk about this, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I maybe having community members or family members that still believe that this is, um, the only way to live and to Mm -hmm. educate children, um, and yet giving ourselves permission to own that this harmed me and yeah. that my body and my soul and my mind are sacred and, and they're mine and they're mine. They're that's, mine. that's one of the biggest things that I've been learning is, and just reaffirming my body is mine and it's none of your business. Yeah. That's, that's a big thing, especially with my mom. My mom has always been so like hyper focused on, um, our virginity mm-hmm. and sexual purity. Um, I have two older sisters, and so we're all, all three girls. So um, she's just been terrified our whole lives that, like, that's, you know, our virginity is going to be taken from us. Mm-hmm. And um, I, when I was talking to my therapist about this a couple years ago, I've been in therapy for several years now, which has been life-changing yay therapy (laughs) i'm a believer (laughs) i hope so (laughs) i am a patient and a psychologist i'm fully a believer yeah um and so you know i was telling her about that and my mom just like having her nose in all of our business um regarding our sex and sexuality and um even when we were out of out of high school adults mm-hmm. you know and just clamping down on that my therapist was like that is a huge violation boundary violation yeah that's a huge boundary violation and that was the first time i even like ever even thought that that was not okay mm. for her to be you know interrogating you about you know how are you being physical and like you better not be physical and um and my poor oldest sister I won't go too much into detail on her her story but my mom definitely intervened in a lot of boyfriend situations and scared off a lot of boys that my oldest sister was um, being interested in experiencing things with for the first time. And, you know, having watched that, going, I don't want to be that target. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to be her next target. And so I definitely was like, repress, 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 repress. Um, no, I'm going to be the good daughter. And not even, like, I felt, I didn't feel in competition with my sisters. It felt like, okay, you need to make up for how they disappointed me and, and all the wrongs they did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my my mom is just always like, oh, I'm praying for a husband for you and your knight in shining armor. And I just know God's going to bring you this amazing, wonderful man. And and I'm... I'm to s- save you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to save you. Um, from what? Myself? <laughs> like, yeah. And 
and um and that like repression just finally like got to be too much and like you you know said it was you know masturbation and you know starting to watch porn and um and that that's a conversation nobody ever has is women watching porn absolutely um and then and also like being very uncomfortable watching porn because um you know I didn't have any any boundaries because you're taught it's a slippery slope once you you know engage in one thing you are you're down the the rabbit hole and you're just um degrading yourself Mm -hmm. and being degraded by others and and it's and so it's like I didn't have boundaries with like any sort of amount of sexual or like healthy sexuality or or a healthy view of sex or um, to say it's okay if I'm uncomfortable watching XYZ. I don't have to watch that, you know. Um, Just even acknowledging that because, no, my my brain's going, no, like I'm a sinner and like this is a slippery slope and, um, you know, these degrading things I'm watching that make me uncomfortable that I don't enjoy looking at. It was weird how I was like almost forcing myself to watch things I was uncomfortable with. Well, and if you don't get sex education, you will find it. And this yeah. is the the thing that I think of for my children. I just started reading books with Sophie and having to overcome my own discomfort and shame because I never had conversations like this with my parents and so I'm like and this there are three definitions of sex and she just really wanted to focus on PIV making Mm -hmm. babies and I'm like we are not there yet in the book (laughs) so you're gonna have to wait because mommy's gonna go in the order of the book because I can't address that right now um but yeah we find a way to explore and it may be something you know with pornography or something to where you need a guy, you need an adult to yeah. say like, hey, if that makes you uncomfortable, here are some, you know, maybe this is a more comfortable way or let me educate you or yeah. porn isn't evil, but like, you know, there are There's, things that are problematic about it. Right, right. And needing needing a guide in yeah. that journey. And just needing help being connected just to yourself. Um and that was something too that I just I I had so much like self loathing yeah for that because I was like f- you know and honestly it, it was a little late in the game but I like I was in my twenties experiencing this for the first time because you know growing up with a little bit less technology you had one family computer mm-hmm. um, you know. Nobody's nobody's downloading porn yes. <laughs> on that thing, yes. <laughs> and so you know I'm in my twenties and have a little you know pi- finally have like some personal technology and, um, and that was the first time that I was just like okay like I you know I'm hearing these things being said or referenced on like a TV show like what does that mean and then I start looking it up and then it's like, um, you know feeling so like behind mm-hmm. and silly and stupid and then 
you don't know what to do with all these, all this, like, repressed sexuality, like, you know, just exploding from the inside out, and things are, it's like you're going through this whole, like, second puberty. Yes. It's so bizarre. And, um, and that lead, you know, that, that kind of led up to my first relationship, um, cause obviously, you know, boys are evil and, you know, you're, you're not allowed to even be friends really. Um, you're not allowed to be alone in a room with the opposite sex and, um, that whole weirdness where it's just like creates this really uncomfortable feeling of, um, it's like a predator prey yeah. dynamic. Yeah. Predator prey dynamic. And, um, just this very odd way of not being able to relate to like a whole Action of being humanity of humanity fifty <laughs> percent yeah and and just being so uncomfortable in your own skin because you can't even be in the same room because you're feeling like oh I just you know everything sexual and like oh this person probably wants to have sex or like oh what are they thinking about and oh, what am I thinking about it you know it's so unnatural and weird um. But my first relationship was incredibly significant. And um, I know we're probably like running long, but <laughs> that's okay. I love to hear about about this and then and then maybe we talk about like the healing that you've experienced in your deconstruction. But yeah. but this first relationship was super significant. It was too. incredibly significant. Um you know, I was older, I was late 20s, he was early 20s, um, that's just where I was, like, emotionally, mentally, even maybe feeling a little younger than that, too, mm -hmm. I felt very stuck at a young age, and, um, you know, I was very, like, passive initially in our, like, physical, sexual relationship, and, um, because you're, you know, just, you're taught that sex is happening to you as a woman, mm -hmm. and something's being taken from you, mm -hmm. and, um, yet, my, I had this huge disconnect between my, my brain and my body, my body's like, yeah, like, you're a grown woman like this is something yeah let's do it and my brain is just like shut down disconnected um I had to be like very drunk to do anything physical mm -hmm. and I do not want to make any like misconceptions about this this man was not taking advantage of me this like, was how you had to cope yeah with all the walls that had been built yeah between you and your sexuality, mm -hmm. like bringing that inhibition down with your own sexuality. Even just to kiss him for the first time, mm -hmm. I had to be very drunk mm -hmm. to do that. And I, he kissed me and I went to the bathroom and I just started like bawling. Mm -hmm. um, 
and my my best friend was like, "Oh, how'd it feel? Was it like fireworks?" And I told her, "Like honestly, I didn't feel anything." Yeah, because you're disconnected from your body. Yeah, and and then you know we had been doing a lot of physical stuff um, for a few months, and then um, and then. It wasn't until like, you know, we had this, we had this like drunken night where, you know, naked sexy time. And it wasn't until three days later that I was like, oh, we had sex. Mm. I dissociated completely. Mm. And like, and it wasn't just that one time and then three days, like those three days we were having sex like multiple times a day. And it took me three days to go, oh, we've been having sex. Wow. Like, I was so disconnected from my body. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, some people are like, how did you, like, not know? Like, how did you not feel that? <laughs> and, and it wasn't until I was in therapy that I realized it was dissociation. And I was so disconnected from my body because um, that – that was like, well, you didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. you messed up, like, you're dirty, the shame, you're sinful. Yeah, and, and gosh, you know, dissociation happens as this protective mechanism in the brain from awareness of a thing we can't handle, and mm-hmm. so, you know, it's it was consensual, you yeah. were wanting it, but you were not present to enjoy it, because your brain had been so indoctrinated into this is the most wrong thing yeah and so you couldn't even be there to be present for it right and just how startling that is and helpful I think for for me to hear and for listeners that you know because of purity culture you experience something that could have been and should have been beautiful and empowering Mm -hmm. as a trauma to the point where your your brain disconnected yeah and that was something that um, in the book Pure that um, she referenced this small study done about um, the symptoms of sexual abuse or sexual assault victims and symptoms of women in purity culture are the same. Mm. Um, I... I often, even before I was dating this man, kept feeling like, was I, was I assaulted when I was younger? And I just blocked it out. Like, did something happen to me? Mm-hmm. Because I'm so terrified of sex. I'm so terrified of men. But I know I'm straight. I know this. Like, that's what I'm attracted to, and that's what I desire most in a, you know, sexual context. And. I just, I've, I, I really thought, like, I had to have repressed something mm-hmm. because it was so traumatic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he and I were together for a few years, and he was the sweetest, kindest, gentlest man, and he was not religious or spiritual, which was a relief it was such a relief to be with somebody who was not pushing anything on me. And he would just hold me and listen and encourage me 
anytime I would work through something in therapy and come home and be like, hey, like, I need us to, like, not be physical for a little while while I work out this emotional aspect. And he was like, okay, like, and respected everything that I need. I'm going to start crying. Mm, (laughs) That was healing for you. Uh, Yeah, it was. mm. Man, I wasn't expecting this emotion to come up. But, yeah, it was incredibly healing. It was so healing. Um, And I I don't think he realized, like, I don't think he realized the depth of that relationship and how significant and how important um, he was to, to my healing. And... Um, you know, he 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 was so often confused <laughs> by it. Um, even though he did grow up in the church, you know, he's a boy, so he wasn't hold, hold held to the same standards. Um, he wasn't, and also too, it wasn't in like a very evangelical situation. Um, it's just you know, for and for him, it was like this is all you know. Yes, and I don't care about any of it. And he was so I was expecting him to be a, a be predatory. Yeah. I was. I was expecting him to be predatory. Um, because that's what I've been taught my whole life. You know, men who are not believers, who are not godly, are predators. They just want that one thing from you and then they're gonna use you up and spit you out. And this could not have been more of an opposite situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being shocked when he told me, like, I I don't enjoy it if you don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was shocked. I was like, what? That exists? Like, I thought you just wanted to, like, take what you can get. Mm-hmm. And we had so many moments like that where I was just like, wait, you're kidding me. Like, you actually care about me? Like, you actually love me? You actually want to not protect me? And I hate saying protect me because that's such a Mm -hmm. triggering phrase coming from purity culture. But, Mm -hmm. like, you actually want to, you value me as a person, as a whole being? And it sounds like he honored your voice. He honored your, hey, I'm not, I'm processing through this. I can't. And he was like, okay, he he gave me the ability to develop my own my voice to find my voice yeah. to find my agency um he gave me the space to do that he encouraged me to do that there would be times where you know i would just sort of play along not even sexually just in relationship period, I was like, everything is about being agreeable and being just, okay, I'm going to cater to everything for you. And, and there were times he'd be like, Adrian, stop. Just like, tell me I'm being a jerk or like, tell me I'm stupid. Like, tell me to shut the fuck up. You know, um, sorry if we're not allowed to curse on here. No, we can curse on here, girl. <laughs> I've been holding it back a little, a lot. <laughs> I always have to hold it back on the podcast, <laughs> but sometimes it slips out. You know, but he would be like, Adrian, like, what are you doing? Like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to be catering to my every 
need emotion like you know just he would be just be like just stop like you don't need you don't need to do that and that was shocking to me it was shocking mm, and and so healing you know i think about kind of your story being something that will resonate in lots of different ways um to different women and and hopefully you know my hope is always that men will listen to this podcast to get Mm -hmm. some deeper insight into um into the female experience because these are stories that don't get told publicly often um one quote that I was trying to look up on my Instagram but I can't find but that you've brought up for me in your story is um, if it was natural for women to submit, they wouldn't have to hear about needing to submit mm-hmm. every Sunday. And it yeah. isn't the natural state of things. You know, we are all diverse beings. And I have this passion for women because I think that they are incredibly powerful, incredibly strong, endure mm-hmm. more pain um, and with more grace than anyone ever gives them credit for. And, and I mm-hmm. see that in your story. Um but what would you want listeners to know about the journey of healing from purity culture and indoctrination yeah. and that like war within the self that was created in you? What what message do you want them to hear? I think like the first thing that comes to mind is just healing comes in all forms and it healing comes from places and people that you might not think think it would come from I did not think a non-spiritual person would be my saving grace and actually bring me back to you know this this innate connection that I do have with a higher power mm-hmm. and it brought me back to my original connection um to that higher power and just cut through all the, the bullshit um yeah, healing comes, healing often comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And trust your intuition. Trust your intuition. If you are feeling anything, um, if you are pulling, if you're pulling up back out of a situation kind of in your headspace and looking around and going, something doesn't feel right. That is true. Lean into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's truth. That's your, that is your body that's another thing too your body will communicate things to you your body will let you know when something's not right Mm -hmm. i think um this might this might be in the body keeps the score Mm -hmm. by bessel van der kolk Mm -hmm. just preeminent ptsd researcher yeah that um your body communicates to you first and then your brain catches up Mm -hmm. your body tells you what's up yeah and um you know my body was telling me about the like you're 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 traumatized your my body was telling me you're traumatized from purity culture mm-hmm. my brain couldn't even like put that together at that point but my body knew mm-hmm. um so yeah I think those are you know intuition listen to your intuition and listen to you know, what what your body's communicating to you. I love the healing happens in all different ways and it can surprise you and show up at 
any moment. And, you know, I have a lot of church trauma, kind of the more recent being with my divorce, being Mm -hmm. shamed and erased by the church that I had served at for years. And, um, and I had a pedicure done at a local (laughs) uh, nail place and healing to me happened in relationship with the woman who was doing my pedicure, who was a hurricane Harvey survivor, like Mm. refugee living Mm. in out of a trailer. And she was more kind and loving and caring for my broken heart and broken soul and mind from the PTSD of that experience than any person in the church who just pretended that I'd never existed. And, you know, when you start to see healing in people you didn't expect it from and places you didn't expect it from, the world becomes a lot more magical. And, you know, knowing that you still have this spirituality, I think that's probably a shared experience for us of like, Mm -hmm. The true experience of spirituality feels like a miracle, like, yeah. oh, healing. Oh, wow, this, I didn't know I needed it. And this is not a church member or a pastor yeah. or a... Just being open to all people. All people. And not, because the church really forces us to go, no, they're unsafe. Othering. Yeah, the othering and... They're unsafe because they're the other within here. These are the safe people. Well, no, I mean, usually within those walls, that's where the most harmful predators reside. Mm -hmm. And there can be good people with good intentions in all spaces, but I think with indoctrination and, you know, your story is so reflective of so many people's stories. And I think this is really important for, for the Waco area, but Mm -hmm. kind of more broadly in the zeitgeist um, with this like American nationalist Christianity that is so patriarchal Mm, and Mm -hmm. rooted in oppression, like people got to hear and, and people have to be brave enough to show up and share. And so that is you today in the way (laughs) that pure and those stories really healed you in your journey um, our listeners are really gifted with your vulnerable openness and, you know, I just love you more today <laughs> than I did yesterday. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that in a spiritual way, our paths have aligned yeah. the divine, put each other in each other's paths. And we've been kind of like working it out. What is this? What are we? Can we talk about these yeah. things? And I'm proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate you and the space you've created and the stories you are sharing and allowing women to tell. I think it's really important. Yeah, it feels important. And again, listening to our gut feelings, I I just have to keep going because it feels right. So listeners, I am so grateful um, for this opportunity today for Adrian and I to both be vulnerable with you all and and my hope is that you are healed or shaped or grown by the vulnerable stories and the overcoming because there's always overcoming that is always available and yeah healing takes time but it's a beautiful process and so let's all heal together Um, thank you for joining us this week and we will catch you next time on the next episode of sister speak Have a great week, guys. Bye.
follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Emma J. Church for updates and podcast schedule. Catch the show on your favorite podcast platform or at roguemedianetwork.com. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Podcast.